you, Brian. That was great. So tonight we're going to talk about tradition a little bit, and I was reflecting on that. And you know, I know that a lot of us have traditions as families, things we do, especially around holidays. Uh, and Christmas, and when you open gifts, do you do it on Christmas Eve, or do you do them on Christmas morning, or do you get stuck on Christmas Eve with pajamas, uh, and then Christmas morning with gifts, or do we go to grandma's house, or grandmother's house, how do we do it? So there's all kinds of traditions. Uh, well, you know, as I was thinking about tradition, one of the traditions of our family that we really love, uh, we love watching Christmas movies. Anybody else like to do that, like Christmas movies? Uh, I just want you to stop and think right now, what is your favorite Christmas movie? Your favorite one. Now turn to the person next to you and tell them what it is, okay? Let's just take a moment here. Just tell them your favorite Christmas movie. Here's some things. No fighting, okay? At our house today, as we're trying to decide which one it would be tonight, it got a little heated. Uh, uh, Which one would be tonight? Tell me, which some of your favorites, okay? Let's hear it. It's a Wonderful Life. Elf. Oh, yeah. Drummer Boy. What's that? Polar Express. Say that. I can't hear that. Nativity. Okay, got you there. So Christmas card. Yeah. Christmas Vacation. Oh, yeah. Now we're getting there. Yeah. Santa Claus 1 and 2, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, Home Alone. How about Die Hard 1 and 2? Yeah. <laughs> Same response every service. <laughs> every service. Okay, so anyway, I'm going to tell you a little bit about a Christmas movie in just a moment for me and how that is having significance this year. But I just want to talk a little bit about, again, about what we're doing here. We're talking about Advent, and Advent has its root in this idea of anticipation. Uh, it means the coming or the arrival of someone important. Uh, So, you know, it's a strong anticipation, kind of like the anticipation that many people had for the cultural experience of 2015 that happened last week, Star Wars, (laughs) leaning forward, couldn't wait for that moment to be able to watch that movie. So the idea of Advent is this idea of waiting, but it's not a passive waiting where I'm just waiting to see what comes, I'm hoping that something happens, but it's a belief that something's going to be different, and so I actually lean forward and I wait with action. You know, I'm just tensed up. I'm waiting for that thing to actually come with anticipation. So first, let's talk about the first advent. The first advent that we celebrate right now at Christmas was the coming of Jesus as a baby, lived a life, died on the cross to make it possible for us to be in relationship with God. So that was the first advent. Then Jesus, as he was resurrected, he went to heaven. He's there in heaven. And he's promised that he's coming again. And that is the second advent. So those who have said yes to Jesus Christ, who believe in him, we long. We lean forward, right? We're waiting for that second advent for Jesus to come again. So that everything that was written about him in the Bible, that we would know in all its fulfillment. And I want that concept tonight to encourage you. Because most of us, in this room, I say most of us are waiting on something, right? We're waiting on something. And it may be that in your waiting, you feel that God has forgotten you. But the message of Christmas is that God is going to come through on schedule. 
He has a plan. He has a time. In fact, in Galatians, is talking about the first advent. He says, at just the right time, his son came. So he would say to you today, don't give up. Instead, anticipate what it is that he wants to do and is coming. Now, in order to get to that place where I can literally anticipate with this kind of hope, you have to first believe. You have to first believe he is coming. So I just want to you know, kind of help us think about that a minute. So I know that there's, there are those in the room, and you have serious questions about this story of a baby who was born of a virgin, who eventually died on a cross for us, or on our behalf. Maybe you believe that the whole Jesus thing is a myth, that it was made up by his followers who were just desperate to make Jesus be a god. So they literally altered the Old Testament so that Jesus' story coincided with the prophecies of the Old Testament so that the prediction would match this one who had lived in this time in Jerusalem. Others of you, maybe you've believed at one point, but as you've grown up, you struggle. You struggle with this idea of Jesus being a baby that was really a God, who was really a man who went to a cross and died. You struggle with that as if it's a kid's story. See, others of you are here and you believe, and right now, you're desperate. You're desperate for God to show you his love. You're desperate for God to show himself to you, and you want to be reminded of why it is that you believe. You want to have your belief restored. So here's the movie. Somebody already mentioned it, Polar Express. I, I watched that just a couple of weeks ago. And as I was watching, I thought, this is an amazing, this is an incredible movie. And, uh, you know, I was sitting there with my daughter and, and my wife, and we were watching it. And I'm like, ah, this is, this is the first time I've seen this. She said, no, it's the second time you've seen it. You slept through it the first time. <laughs> and that may be true, okay? But the polar, okay, spoiler alert, okay? If you've got kids, you might want to put your fingers over their ears right now, okay? But Polar Express is about a boy who's coming to an age where he no longer believes in Santa. No longer believes in Santa. And the whole story is about his conversion to believe in Santa once again. It's all about believing something in order for it to be true. If you believe it, it will be true. See, the story of Polar Express is a myth. You can't make something true simply because you believe it. But the birth of Jesus, it's an actual fact actual fact. You can't make it true by believing it, and you can't make it false by denying it. It's true. So let me help us, okay? One of the main arguments for Jesus being the Messiah is that he actually was a direct match and fit for over 100 prophecies about him in the Old Testament, over 100. The chances of one person fulfilling these are just astronomical, beyond even zeros that we could put up on a screen. Now, either those prophecies or predictions are accurate, or they were altered, or they were rewritten after Jesus or while Jesus was alive in order to substantiate the claims of his followers that he was truly the Messiah. So many skeptics, many antagonists, many, I would say, many liberal theologians and scholars as well, they used to hold the position 
that the Old Testament documents were altered or changed to be the one who was the long-awaited Messiah. That is, until 1947 and the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Here's the story. Basically, a shepherd is out in his field in Israel, and, you know, shepherds are not a lot to do, so he's throwing rocks, and he's throwing rocks at a hole, and one of the rocks goes into the hole, actually, <clears throat> and once it hits inside, he hears the shattering of pottery. So he throws another rock, and it goes inside, and he hears the shattering of pottery again. So he goes up into the cave, crawls inside, and he finds a bunch of pottery jars inside the cave. He looks into the one that has been shattered, <coughs> excuse me, shattered by his rock, and he was hoping for treasure, but what he found instead were parchments, were scrolls that had writing on them. And one of the parchments that was discovered, not by him that day, but it became a huge discovery, and so archaeologists went and they dug and found many. One of the parchments that, were dis- that was discovered is the dead, uh, the Isaiah scroll. So here's a picture of it. Here's a picture of the Isaiah scroll. It was 24 feet long, intact, intact, 24 feet long, and this scroll was dated to be have been written about 100 B.C. Now, here's why this is important, 100 B.C. Here's the significance. Up until this discovery, the latest documents that we had that we could verify that the Bible was accurate were from what is called the Masoretic text, Masoretes. They had written down the Bible, the Old Testament, and that Masoretic text is what had been passed forward and to pretty much the same Old Testament that we have today. So now what happens is, because of the Dead Sea Scrolls discovered that were written 100 B.C., we have these documents that were dated before Jesus came. We have documents that were dated 900 years after Jesus came, and after they translated the book of Isaiah and then interpret it, and they put the book of Isaiah and the Masoretic text next to each other, and what they discovered is almost no difference in the text. And what we learned from that is that the Bible that we have today was in existence before Jesus came. So it was not altered in any way as proof or to make Jesus be the Messiah, the one who had come. And therefore, what we can believe, we can believe is that the promises that were fulfilled by Jesus were substantiated. You can believe them to be true. In other words, there was no conspiracy. You can trust the authenticity of these writings and what they said about the coming Messiah and that Jesus was the one. You can trust the Bible to be accurate in what it says concerning people and places, events and prophecies. And the longer we go, the more archaeology proves that the Bible is accurate. The latest discovery was the coin of Hezekiah. Up until then, King Hezekiah was just a Bible character. There was no proof of his existence. And we found a coin now that shows us that Hezekiah was actually a king and he existed. So what we learn from that is Jesus is the one prophesied about, and I'll just say it this way, Jesus is not a myth. 
Jesus exists whether you believe in him or not. He exists. So with that kind of as a background, what I want to do is I want to run through one of the prophecies. If Jesus is the Messiah, this is what God promises to you and to me. And we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9, one of the most famous of the prophecies about Jesus. So let's just begin and read this from verse 1. <coughs> the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. Now, just pause there for a moment. And what we see here is that Isaiah was talking about a reality that we call the incarnation. And the incarnation means that when Jesus was born as a baby, he was both man and God. The incarnation. He was both man and God. And therefore... He goes on to say this. Then he says about this man, he says, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called. And I just want you, because you're probably familiar with these words, why don't you help me out and read these out loud? He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And he ends there. His government will know no end. Peace will never end. So here's what we get from this. The main idea of Advent and the reason that we love celebrating at Christmas time by lighting candles is this. This, here's the truth, this darkness will not last. This darkness will not last. So let's just quickly, let's just run through these four descriptions of who Jesus is and then what that would mean for you and me as we wait. We wait for him, what he wants to do in us. So the first one is wonderful counselor. So in times of confusion, what I would ask you to do, same with me, is let Jesus be my wonderful counselor. Now, that word wonderful, it's, a, it's an amazing word if you study it in the Bible, in the text. Uh, it talks about being awesome or incredible, and it's only used of God, only used to designate deity. Now, the word counselor, it's a lot different from the counselor that we would think about today, where we have, you know, marriage and family therapists, and we have psychologists, and we have coaches that help us. It's a lot different than that kind of counselor. The word counselor means someone who is a military strategist. So a military strategist. It means someone who strategizes campaigns and the way that troops would move in battles and in war. It means someone who's wise, someone who can make plans and then give those plans to us with clarity to clear up our confusion. So what that's saying to us is this. It says, so if Jesus is this wonderful counselor, well, let him. Let him be the one who guides you because he is a sure guide. So what is it that makes him so effective as a counselor? Well, you have to go back to this idea of the incarnation because he was both human and divine. Because he was human, that means he knows what I feel. So that means that Jesus, when he walked the face of the earth, he knew what it was like to be disappointed. He knew what it was like to be tempted. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be sad. He knew what it was like to have joy. He knew what it was like to be discouraged. He knew what it was like to feel pain. In fact, he knew what it was like to die, to die. And so I can just know 
when I'm talking to Jesus that he knows what I feel. And because he's divine, it means that he can take care of my needs. He can actually work. He can actually do something to cause my situation to change. It's a supernatural part. <clears throat> that he can give me his divine guidance and wisdom. So that's the first idea. The second one, it's just going to get better as we go along. Second one is, in my confusion, let him be my mighty God. Now that word mighty, it's a Hebrew word that means, it's, the word is gabor, and it means hero. So I'm going to let him be my superhero. Now when we think of superheroes, we think of like Iron Man, right? Captain Avenger, Captain America, I mean, the different um, heroes that we have. If you're spiritual, you're sitting here thinking of Moses or Noah. You know, some of the folks we saw in the video just a few moments ago. But the key to the title is this. The Messiah will not just be a human. The Messiah will be a mighty God. If you were here on Sunday, you know that we talked about he's the prince of peace. And yet he's going to be my warrior king. A mighty God, the one who created every star and every galaxy in the universe, and as we know, even named them by name. That God became a little baby. And Jesus is our hero God, able to do all things because he's God. And because of that, he has the power to rescue me. He's my strong defender. He has the power to protect me. He is able to bring Chaos, uh, order in my times of chaos because of his power. Okay, third thing is this. He's my everlasting father. So he not only came to be my wonderful counselor, he not only came to be my mighty God, but he also came to adopt me and bring me into his family. He is a perfect father. Now, dads, you, you know, we'd all say there are no perfect dads, right? And if you, know, if you think you are, just ask your kids, okay? And they'll let you know pretty quickly. There are no perfect dads. God is a perfect father. And he showers me with compassion. The beauty, though, about this is that God made us to be part of a family. And that he would do everything necessary even the death of his son, to bring me into that family. Now, a few, uh, about, I guess it was about six weeks ago, uh, our computer's in the kitchen at our house, and so my daughter was online, and she said, Dad, you got to watch this commercial. And so uh, she showed me a commercial, and it, as I was watching it, and as I've been reflecting on it, as it you know, would fit into this talk today, it, what I saw in this commercial is how they did a great job of showing what a father would go to in order to bring his family home. Now, we're going to watch it. Now, no, it's German, okay? It's German. It's subtitles, and the subtitles go really fast at first. So let's watch quickly, okay? Let's see this. I never told. Hallo Papa, ich bin. Ich wollte nur kurz anrufen und dir Bescheid geben. Wir werden es Weihnachten dieses Jahr wieder nicht schaffen. Wir versuchen es nächstes Jahr und dann klappt es ganz bestimmt. Fröhliche Weihnachten, Papa. Bis bald. Fröhliche Weihnachten, Opa. There 
There goes a day, there goes a week. So many goals I had to reach. The more I did, the less I cared. The more I miss the love you've shared. If life is a song, somehow it's sad. Don't know the words without your dead. You've been on my mind all the time, and I miss saying you. Home used to be just some walls that I know, but the truth is that home means nothing without you. Ich euch denn sonst alle zusammenbringen soll. As you watch that, I, I know that there are people in the room, and and right now, even as you watch that video, you, you feel it strongly because in your home, there's maybe somebody missing. Maybe you're like the man, and your kids are somewhere else, and, and you wish they were there. Maybe you're estranged in some way, and you're feeling that loss and that loneliness. And in that video, what we see is we see how much that God longs to bring us home. It's an example of that. That God would go <clears throat> to extremes, just like that man went to extremes. God went to the extreme by giving his son to die on a cross, that he could bring every one of us into his family, into relationship with him. He wants to be our perfect father. See, God is a God of compassion, but he's not just compassionate. He's strength. He's not just that. He encourages like a good father would do. He even gives good discipline like a good father would give. He teaches. He provides. And that's what Jesus came to be as our everlasting father, the good shepherd who would hold his sheep. Then I want to talk about this last idea. Last name is the prince of peace. Now, when I was thinking about this, and, and I loved last Sunday when it was so well delivered and explored, uh, I really need this. I don't know about you. Uh, it's just, you know, I look at our world and uh, the things that are happening and going on and, uh, with terrorism and racism uh, and protests and confusion, and, you know, the economy, just you, the list could just, you know, we all know, you all have yours. Uh, you have your fears. And, and I just know that we all need peace. And then we come to Christmas. And Christmas can be one of the most stressful times of the year. It's so high in expectation. It can never live up to the expectations we give. And, but yet we try again and again and again. And we end up stressed. But here's what Jesus offers instead. This is the beauty of his birth. He offers shalom and serenity. Now, when I was thinking about that word shalom, I wanted to just delve into it just a little bit. Uh, it means more than just peace. It's a Hebrew word. 
And it could have been translated as whole or finished, made good, fulfilled, wellness, wholeness, complete, in harmony. But I read a description this week that I thought fits so well. And it's this. Shalom means nothing missing, nothing broken. That's peace. Because if you're honest, you'd say, yeah, there's something missing. And that thing that's missing causes me stress. If you'd be honest, you would say, there's something broken. And because of that, I feel stress. And what Jesus says, I come to give you a peace that passes understanding so that you can know shalom, that you can know that in me, that there's nothing missing and there's nothing broken. Nothing at all. Shalom really, though, has to do with more than that. It has to do with coming into a relationship with God. See, we're all separated from him by sin. Not one of us comes into his family unless we come through Jesus. In fact, Romans 5 talks about the peace we can have in him possible. It says this, therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith. You might put the word by believing there. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. So what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross gives us the possibility of peace forever. Once you receive that, once you believe that, he places his peace. You're now at peace with God. And because you're now at peace with God, you can know the peace of God as you're in relationship with him. That's what Jesus offers. But there's a, key, there's a catch. There really is. And here's the next idea, the last one, promise, I'll share tonight. In times of confusion, let Jesus be the one who governs your life. Let him be the one who rules. Now, what we've done over the last few weeks, we've lit the candles. And the first week, we lit the candle of hope. On that week, we set up the whole idea of the darkness that the nation of Israel, that they were living in at the time Isaiah was writing, and we were able to compare that with our day and our time, and how these words had to have given his people and then us so much hope. And then the next week, we lit the candle of love, and we talked about the Jesse tree. We talked about the root. We talked about how he was God incarnate, and that he would come as an example of God's love to us. And then we lit the candle of joy. And, and I remember that week so well as I was talking because it was we, we delved into this whole idea that I can still have joy even if my circumstances are dark. My circumstances are not on my side. That I can still have his joy. And then as we talked about last week, it was peace. And that I can have his peace. Now, those were all gifts that... He that would come, they'd be all part of Jesus. But what we did tonight is we lit this candle and to say that all those are in him. All those are in him and all of those are available to us. They're available to every one of us. If we're willing to let him rule. If we're willing to bend a knee, to be humble enough to say, he is the Messiah. I'm going to trust him with my life. 
like the 12-step program says, I will turn over control of my life to his power. This is the hardest thing a human being can do, is turn our lives over to his power. So at the very end, verse 7, I'm going to come back to that. says this, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment. So God is totally committed to this with all he is of the Lord's of heaven's armies will make this happen. So Advent means that this darkness will not last because Jesus came to be the light of the world. John's best friend, or Jesus' best friend John, wrote about that. Chapter 8, verse 12, and says this, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. That's his promise at Christmas. And let's listen to this awesome song about Jesus being the light of our world.
So when I talked about the fact that it requires belief, I understand how hard that is, how difficult it is to come to a place where you would be willing to say, I believe. But that's the answer. That's the solution. That's the way to be able to experience the love that God has for you. Hope that you can have in Him. In fact, the most famous verse of the Bible is John 3, 16. And it says, for God so loved the world. He loved the world so much that he gave his one and his only son. So that everyone, anyone, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've believed up until now, everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. See, when we come to Christmas, one of my fears is, is that we will get enamored by the baby. We'll get enamored by the manger and the thoughts of what we feel even when we look at a child and we hold a child and it's sweet and it's cute. You know, I'll show you a couple of pictures. The first one is a picture of Mary with baby Jesus. Look at that and you think, oh, that's just so beautiful. It's so awesome. See, we can't get stuck there. Christmas is so much more than that. So what we need to do is we need to pass there to when Jesus was a man and he died. I'll show you another picture. This is a picture of the Peeta. I had the privilege of seeing that in person this April. Beautiful work of art by Michelangelo. We have Mary. And now I have Jesus, lifeless, broken, for us. That's the message of Christmas. He came for every one of us. And what he asks of us is to believe. God did this to bring you home. And when I say that, I'm not talking about heaven. Heaven's awesome. Just a dream of heaven and what that might be like. But he invites you into his arms, into his loving embrace, to walk with him every day of this life in relationship. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd bow your heads, I'd like to lead us in a prayer. I guess my... My request is, as we pray, my 
my thought is, would you just be willing to say two words? Just two words. I believe. I believe. Here's what that means. That you're saying, I believe that Jesus was God. Jesus was man. Jesus was born of a baby. He lived and then he died the death that I should have died. He took the punishment that I should have received. So Jesus, we believe that in you we can be forgiven. We believe that in you that we can be cleansed. We believed in you that we can be healed, brought to wholeness, be in relationship with God because of you. And if you believe that, those who do and those who have said yes even now, that you would say, I want you to rule. Rule in my life. I want to know your hope and your love joy, your peace. I want you to be my wonderful counselor. I believe you're my mighty God. I want to be resting in the arms of the everlasting Father. I want to walk in the sureness of the Prince of Peace because I'm letting you rule in my life. And that's how our world has changed. And Jesus, I thank you for that promise. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.